You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. We are in Mark 9 and Mark 10. We're right just past the middle of the Gospel of Mark, and we're seeing a theme begin to really pick up, and I'm going to focus on that theme this morning. But before I begin, and while you're turning to Mark chapter 9, uh, I was sitting in my office and just thinking about this week. This was a, a, a slightly heavy week in the ministry for me, uh, meaning this, that sometimes uh, some weeks are a little heavier in dealing with, uh, you know, the way that, that Satan can so quickly destroy lives. Um, and it's been a, a, an eye-opening week for me. I was sitting in my office this morning and a phrase that I heard many years ago. In fact, I'll tell you how long ago it was. I couldn't remember who said it. So I had to, I just Googled the phrase to see if I could find the original person who I heard this from. And it ended up being years ago, I, I heard this, this phrase from Bob Jones Sr., an old preacher who's been, you know, in heaven for many years. And here's the phrase. Don't offer the future on the altar of the immediate. Think about that. Don't offer your entire future on the altar of the immediate. I was thinking an altar is a place where you make sacrifice. You give things up at an altar. And maybe there are some here today, like some of the situations I've dealt with this week, that you're contemplating some decision in regard to your immediate. And you're thinking about putting all of your future, all that you've worked for, all that you've considered at risk for something that is very immediate. Don't do that. Don't do that. I don't know if that was for anybody, but if it was for one person, it was worth it. What an incredible principle for life. Reflect on that this afternoon. You know, in church history, many pendulums tend to swing back and forth from one extreme to the other. It's amazing. I've done a lot of study about church history, but you know what's interesting is you can just study the history of your own church when you stay 28 years, right? That's a long time. And in 28 years of pastoring one church, this church, the only church I've ever pastored, I've even watched the pendulum swing in our church. And what's interesting is this, is that Seldom is it ever really in balance. We always seem to emphasize something at the exclusion of other things. And I get it. It's just kind of how it works. You get excited about something, right? And man, it's like awesome, right? And you want to emphasize that. Years ago, our church kind of transitioned a few years ago because we began to experience a fresh wave of worship. Something we had never experienced before. In fact, as I looked through church history, I found... That, that it had been a couple of hundred years since really a worship service with, with music, if you will, that is fresh and exciting and coming from, as we heard this morning, even our own worship pastor writing a brand new worship song. And so people started to wrestle with this fresh experience of worship because that is the big emphasis today. In fact, I had a dear friend of mine one of my best, well, probably my best pastor friend in the world, Robert Bax, 
who wrote a book called Worship Wars. Oh, it's in our bookstore. You can actually stop in and it's a great read. It really is. It's a great read for more reasons than just the worship wars. But, but many churches went through this war where it was, you know, the, the genre of music or the, the style of music or even instruments on the platform. And it was a, there was tension and the pendulum swung and it like swung hard. And we've, we've enjoyed it. I mean, it's been amazing. I, I, I think about what we just invested in our church, most of it for the worship experience. And that's good. It's a good thing. So many of these things, most of these things are good things in the church. It's a good emphasis, but we need balance. So if, if this is worship, then what is this? What's that? Anybody know? Service. What's this? It's not a trick question. Service. Service. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about service. Rolling up our sleeves, getting busy, working and building God's kingdom. Balance as the pendulum has swung. And I love the emphasis of worship. But this morning, I want to put the emphasis on something that is very, very, very near to the heart of God. And that is serving and building up God's kingdom. Now, let me begin by saying this in my foundational thoughts that I'm not necessarily talking about random acts of kindness. I think those are great. I think those are amazing. You know, walking a lady across the street, uh, you know, walking over to the water fountain and getting you a drink of water and saying, hey, I think I'll bring one to somebody else. That's a great, good idea. I love it. It's fantastic. But I'm talking about taking on and shouldering kingdom responsibility. Actually going to the church center app, you know, and actually signing up and saying, you can count on me. I will be part of the team. Now, what I know is we all want that worship experience, and here's how I know it, because we have a lot more people that come to worship than come to serve. And I get it. The pendulum has swung, and everyone's looking to experience something with God. But fewer and fewer people are really interested in getting involved and working to build God's kingdom. And that's what we desperately need. And our church people come to worship but what about people coming to work and serve Christ? So let's address that this morning. But let's address it from the Bible. And in Mark chapter 9, it's not going to be difficult to see it. And I'm going to be able to give you some reasons to serve in Christ's kingdom. Now, if you haven't noticed already, this is a persuasive message. Yeah. I'm going to try to persuade you to do something about what I'm teaching. And here's why, because there's three groups of people in this room. The first group of people are those who are already serving. And, and you, should, you should know this, that that's a good thing. If you're already serving, praise God. That's, that's, there's a, there's an, it's important. Be encouraged. Be encouraged by the message this morning and, and commit in a fresh way to serve and continue to serve. Then if you don't mind, I'm going to skip to to the third type of person in this room first. And I want to address those who are new and still learning. Because those of you that are new 
to the church and you're still learning, it makes sense that it takes a while to get connected. It really, really does. It takes sometimes weeks and months. Got to figure things out. Who's in charge? Who, you know, where do I sign up? What's available? Where do they need me? Um, and, and just got to feel it out through your small group, maybe through the welcome desk, asking the pastor, just, you know, I get it. And so if you're new and you're still learning, you still have some time. This morning, there's a third group of people, and it's those who are not yet serving. Or those who used to serve, but no longer are serving. And what I want to do is just simply, in a very loving way, I want to address this with all of us. But I want to do it in a biblical manner. I want to give you a biblical basis for what I'm preaching. I don't want to challenge you without a scriptural basis for a challenge. And so there are three focuses of this serving in God's kingdom in this passage in Mark 9 and 10. I'm going to read you those three passages just by way of introduction so you can get connected. So follow along with me. We're going to read, first of all, Matthew chapter 9, verse 33, 34, and 35. Here it is. And they came to Capernaum, and when Jesus, when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they were arguing about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. This theme continues in Mark chapter 10, verse 28, where Peter began to say to him, See, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus says, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive 100 fold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And then the theme verse for the entire gospel of Mark. Here it is. Mark chapter 10 and verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So let's begin with this definition of serve. What does it mean? It means to labor so that others may benefit. To to work for the benefit of others. Not my own benefit, but for someone else's benefit. That service. The word is used 1,255 times in the Bible. It's a lot. Hundreds of times in the New Testament. Seven Greek words that translate into one English word. Serve. And I'm concerned and convinced in the church today... And I don't pastor any other church in town, so obviously I'm probably thinking mainly of gospel light, which is where my heart is. And I'm concerned at gospel light that we have lost sight of the concept of serving. And it's not necessarily that we haven't been doing good things. I mean, we've emphasized a really good thing. And we're going to continue to emphasize that. But this morning I'm asking the pendulum to swing back just a little bit to the middle to say... Are you working for the master? Are you serving others? 
Let me give you three reasons to serve in in God's kingdom. And and we're going to do that again, looking at these three different passages of Scripture. So, number one, we serve in Christ's kingdom because service can satisfy our heart's longing for fulfillment. All of us have a longing to be fulfilled. We want our lives to count for something. At the end of our lives, we want to look back and say, you know what? Man, that, that lasts for all eternity. There's great satisfaction and fulfillment in that. We're all looking for that. The disciples, and up to this point in the passage, have been experiencing some pretty heavy things with Jesus, right? I mean, if you've been coming to church for the past few weeks, you've been, you've been experiencing some of those heavy things with me. I mean, we've talked about them. We've preached on them. We've, been, we've preached on Mark 1 through 8 so far. And now we're entering into chapter 9, and we have already seen Jesus, and so, by the way, did the disciples, feed 4,000 people at one time, feed 5,000 people at one time, heal numerous people who were demon-possessed, incredible stories. We've seen him do some amazing things like raise someone from the dead. He has healed all kinds of different situations. Last Sunday... We saw Jesus take three guys on top of a mountain and see Jesus transfigured before their very eyes and Moses and Elijah show up out of nowhere. That's heavy. These are some incredible things that are taking place here. And so with all that in mind, Jesus then says in Mark chapter 9, verse 33 through 35... They were talking about what they had seen, all these things they had seen, right? The disciples are walking with Jesus. And maybe there had been some distance that had been created in that walk. You ever walk with somebody for a long time, and before you know it, somebody's walking faster or slower than somebody else, and you kind of congregate, and they're having this conversation, and here's how the conversation might have gone. Dudes, man, this is, this is like awesome. Following Jesus, all these cool things, and I'm like, Jesus is like totally invested in this, and I just feel great. I feel like I'm going to be really be great. Like, I I just feel great being around Jesus. And, like, I really think he's got, like, big plans for me to be great. I mean, like a title. Like, I think I'm going to be like, and then, no, no, I I think I'm going to be great. Well, not going to be as great as me. What what do you mean you're not going to? I'm better than you. I'm better than you. I'm going to be great. And so this argument is taking place about who's going to be, like, the greatest in the kingdom. So let's pick it up. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? Now, how many of you think he knew what they were discussing? (laughs) You know what? One of the brutal things about hanging out with Jesus is he reads your mind. You know, (laughs) no secrets with Jesus, you know. What were you guys discussing on the way? And because they knew he could read their mind, guess what they did? They're like, oh, no. He figured it out. They were silent. For on the way they had argued with one another, who's going to be the greatest? I'm going to be the greatest. No, I'm going to be the greatest. I'm going to be the greatest. Shut up. I'm going to be the greatest. You're stupid. I'm going to be the greatest. It's interesting how Christ responds to them. Not what you think. Not what you think. So he sits them down and he calls the 12 and he says to them, all right, guys, if anyone would be first. Wow. Wow. That's not what I expected. Notice he does not rebuke the disciples in in, in their argument. He doesn't rebuke them in that there is anything wrong with being great. He doesn't say, you guys are so arrogant, stop seeking greatness. He didn't do that. 
I kind of expected that. But he doesn't say, you guys, you got a lot of nerve. Let someone else be successful. No, no, no. Jesus doesn't do that. Nowhere in Scripture is the desire for success or for greatness condemned. Nowhere. We're only instructed not to go about it in the wrong way. In fact, the desire to be recognized for accomplishing something worthwhile with your life is deeply ingrained in every human being. I'll be the first to admit, I like being recognized. I mean, it's in me. I want to be successful. I want to do something great with my life. I want my life to count for something. And you have that same desire. And it's a good thing. Why is it a good thing? Because God put it there. We all have that desire. But because of our sinfulness, we want to go about it in the wrong way. And so we think that maybe, maybe big, piling up a big bunch of money is going to make us great. You know, like getting real rich, building bigger houses, bigger, having bigger cars, having more money, more things, more materialism. Or maybe a worldly resume of accomplishments. That'll be great. That's what I need. I just want to be great in the sight of men. But that's not what greatness is. That's not satisfying. There's something deep within us that wants to be great. And Jesus says, hey guys, you want to be great in God's kingdom? You got to go about it in the right way. And so he says in verse 35, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Now in that he is not saying that service is the way to the top. He is not saying that serving is the pathway to greatness. Like for instance, you know, okay, start in the mailroom, start sweeping and cleaning restrooms and then all of a sudden one day you go to the next level and one day you'll have the nice office on the 15th floor of the building with the you know, all the plush stuff and the big salary. He's not saying that. He is not saying service is the way to the top. He is saying service is the top. It's the top. It never gets better than serving. You have reached the pinnacle of God's kingdom when you stoop to serve someone else. He says, in effect, if you want to sit at the head of the table, then set the table. Set it. That's greatness. And that's where fulfillment is. That's where real satisfaction in God's economy is. And as you look back on your lives, and by the way, who doesn't want to look back on their life as they get older? Look, hey, I can say now, as I've lived over half my life probably, and I find myself getting older and nearing what they call this age of retirement or some sort of an age when you can look at your life a little differently, and I'm getting there, and some of you are getting there with me, and others are not Uh, there yet but you're young but guess what you are older today than you've ever been so we're all going somewhere with our lives on this earth and every one of us wants to be able to look back on our lives and if you want to look back over your life it's going to be the times that you've served the times that you've spent yourself the time that you gave yourself for a cause that is greater than yourself A cause that is greater than your own and that matters for all eternity. Those will be the things that satisfy your heart. We've got to establish it won't be the big promotion, church. It won't be the fancy house. 
It won't be the better thing. As years pass, you'll see those things as emptiness and worthlessness. It'll be the, the times that you served Christ. It'll be the times you accepted kingdom responsibility in a faithful way and you made a difference in other people's lives. Those will ultimately be what will be recognized as the most fulfilling things that you will ever do with your life. If you want to warm your human heart, serve. If you want to light your human fire, serve someone else, not yourself. Let me give you the second reason to serve in Christ's kingdom. First of all, because service can satisfy our heart's longing for fulfillment. And secondly, because service will be rewarded now and in eternity. It's amazing. Now and in eternity. You see, God knows who's serving. And can I tell you something about that? He's fired up about it. He's fired up. Anybody that's serving others, God is completely fired up about. In fact, he's gone on record as saying that he's actually going to reward them. It's crazy. I know it's crazy, but there's actually this reward ceremony in the Bible, and it has to do with service. So let's walk our way down Mark chapter number 10, beginning in verse number 17. What a great text this is. So he was setting out on his journey, and this man runs up to him, kneels before him, and asks him a question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Good question or bad question? Good question. It's a great question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now watch how Jesus reveals this person's heart. Jesus says to him, why call you me good? There's no one good but God. See that? Now what should the rich young ruler have said? Well, cool. Because you know what? I've been watching you do all these miracles and like you are phenomenal. I'm telling you, you are, you are God. You are the Messiah. You've convinced me. It's incredible. But unfortunately, he, he didn't give that answer. In fact, I believe it might have gone like this. Can I read that verse again? Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Pause, 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 pause. I can see Jesus stepping back, putting his hands in his tunic and saying, And then he says, you know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, honor your father and your mother. Pause, 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 pause. You want to be good? Keep all the commandments. Keep all these random commandments. And what should that rich young ruler have said then? Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's obvious. I can't keep all of those. That's impossible. There's no way any human being could ever do that. But that's not what he said. He said, teacher, all these have I kept from my youth up. Glad you mentioned those things because I'm like perfect so far. Proud heart or humble heart? Proud heart. Not ready to receive the gospel because you have to recognize that you are a sinner before you can receive the gospel. You must come to a place where you are ready to repent of your sins, where you recognize the fact that you cannot save yourself. And Jesus looked at him in verse 21 and loved him 
and said to him, you lack one thing. Jesus is about to identify the idol in this man's life, something he loves more than than Jesus. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Jesus begins to reveal the idol in this man's heart. Now, what what should he have said here? What should he have said? Go sell everything you have and follow me. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be true to his nail-pierced hands than to be the king Who cares? Of a vast domain. Or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this old world affords today. But he didn't say that. Verse 22. Disheartened by the saying... He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus looks around and says to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And this morning, there's probably not many people here who are not wealthy by the standard that Jesus was using here. In fact, I would go as far as to say that everybody in this room is wealthy blessed by the standard God is using in this passage. He's not speaking about people who are billionaires or millionaires, just people who have pretty much what they need and more. We're all so blessed. Can I get an amen? Wow. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter into the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. And they said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man it's impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. And Peter began to say to him, and here goes old Peter about to stick his foot in his mouth. See, master, we've left everything and followed you. And I'm sure some of the disciples standing around said, gee, Peter, I wouldn't brag about that. Like your fisher business was like, really bad like it was a total failure (laughs) but let's give peter some credit shall we he did walk away from a okay so it wasn't successful still it was it was what he had and he did leave it and he did follow christ but jesus goes on to say listen what jesus says we're coming back to service stay with me three more verses jesus says truly i say to you There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not, I'm going to paraphrase, who will not be rewarded, who will not receive a hundredfold when? Well, first of all, now in this time, 
houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands with persecutions. And secondly, in the age to come, eternal life. So there's two groups of rewards that will be given. Number one is stuff we get now. And number two is stuff we get in eternity. Now, a lot of people have taken this scripture and distorted it. So let me just go on record as saying this, that eternally speaking, if I could just be honest with you, because I want to give you an example right now, but I do not want anyone here to take this as that my wife and I are some sort of super Christians because we're definitely not. Trust me. My wife and I have given up very little. Like, it, it's, it's almost embarrassing, to be honest. But whatever we have given up, whatever. I mean, I'm trying to think of a few things, you know. We, we, did, we did leave, you know, a really good opportunity in California to come here to start this church. Okay, so we left some stuff there. Through the years, we've, we, we've left some things here in the ministry. Maybe, maybe there could have been more financial gain somewhere else. Maybe, I don't know, but maybe. Maybe we lost a few friends. I mean, I'm just saying maybe. We, okay, we walked, we, we did leave some things. But Jesus says, that's good. But first of all, let's talk about all the brothers that you gain. Brothers, Jesus, what do you mean brothers? I've got one brother, one blood brother. His name's Brett. I've got one brother. His name's Brett. He pastors in Las Vegas. What do you mean a hundredfold? And then I'm reminded about all of you in this church that are born again believers, that are men. Guess what you are? You're my brother. And I've got a brother in Las Vegas that I hardly ever get to see. But guess what, Troy? I get to see you every week. And you're my brother, man. In fact, many of you are closer than even blood. You've done so much for me. You've helped me. I mean, wow. It's not just a blood relationship. It is other relationships that God has given me as a result of being a servant of his. And then sisters, all of you ladies in here that are born again, guess what? You are my sisters. And I love you, and I get to serve with you, and we get to serve one another, brothers and sisters. And then I thought about houses. This one I was really confused about because I got to thinking, okay, God, a hundred houses, I would be rich. I don't own a hundred houses. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, you do. I'm like, I do? He's like, oh, yeah. If your house burnt down today, how many people would offer you a place to stay? And I thought, John Schroeder's got his hand up. Thanks, John. (laughs) Thank you, and thank you, yeah. I I think, I can't imagine I could go very many places in the country, have a flat tire on interstate whatever, call a friend in that state and say, hey, bro, I am, I just, I don't have any money to stay in a hotel. Can I stay with you? Sure, Eric, come on. Man, I got you covered. We had a couple in in the service, the first service. This is awesome. They're from Lake Charles, Louisiana. I've been knowing them for several years. They called me this week and said, Eric, we've lost everything. We've lost it all. The hurricane destroyed everything we have. And can we come to Hot Springs and stay? I initially offered them our home, but they said, look, we want to kind of make it a little vacation. So if you could help us find an Airbnb. And so I found one that was affordable that they could stay at. But he told me on the way out, he said, I just want to thank you 
I just, it's pretty cool to know that I've got a home to stay in if I come back. I said, anytime, bro. My house is your house. Isn't that cool? I don't think there's very many people in this room that wouldn't lend me $10 if I needed it. And I need it. Just kidding, just kidding. Just kidding. Do you get what I'm saying? This is an amazing thing, and God wants to go on record as saying, it's the kingdom. It's not just the blood relationships. We have eternal relationships. Get the picture? You give up a little, but you get so much more. God sees what you give up for the kingdom. God is in debt to nobody. You can't outgive God. But notice in verse number 30, it says, as we move on, it makes this statement. It says in verse 30, Verse 30, next one, and the next one. With persecutions, with persecutions. You know what's interesting about that is sometimes I think we think, man, it's all good, it's all good. Serving God is all good. It's just all perfect. So far, Brother Eric, I mean, good night. I get a hundredfold brothers, sisters. This is a deal. I'm in. Time out. It's not always easy. There's some hard stuff. In fact, for me not to identify the fact that right now, people who are serving Jesus are being martyred all over our country, in our world, I should say. And in our country, who knows what is going to happen to those who determine to serve God. We even see a measure, a small measure of persecution with some of the churches in California right now. And even around our nation. With persecutions, it's not always easy. There is some hard stuff. But he says in verse 30 also, and in the age to come, eternal life. So let's talk about eternal life for a minute. How many have heard, how many of you have heard with me, or I've preached it before, that there is an award ceremony when we get to heaven? Amen? There is. In fact, I want to give it to you in the New Testament, in John chapter number 12. You'll notice on the screen here, it says in verse 25 that whoever loses his life, or rather whoever loves his life loses it, whoever hates his life in this world will keep it. For eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The Father will honor him. I'm not sure exactly what that's going to be like. I don't have all the answers. But there is a couple of things that we do know for sure. Number one, there are going to be crowns. We know that. The Bible talks about crowns. There is going to be things placed in our hands. Physically, Jesus is going to give us, Vince, a, an award. We're going to get some sort of physical award. It's, it's, it's called crowns. I, I don't know how he does it, but I know this, that if you're not working for Christ at all, and I say this in love, but to get your attention, and sometimes it's good for us to not get our ears tickled every service. Amen. I think there's going to be a couple of lines, and let's just call one line the lame line. The lame line. Someone who just doesn't serve God. The Bible has a description of this person in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 15. It says, if anyone's work is burned up. In other words, they worked, but they didn't work for anything that mattered in eternity. They They spent their lives working, but they just built up treasures and houses and lands and cars and things and vacations and 401k packages, and they just had a lot. They get to heaven and find out, well, that all burned. 
You suffer loss, but I got some good news for you. You will be saved from fire. So in other words, and this is good news, it is not what you do or what you don't do that gets you eternal life. Amen. You're saved only by the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross. Amen. And that's wonderful. And that's the best news of all time. Amen. But there are repercussions. There are. There is loss. If we do not steward that which God has given us well. If we're not using the gifts, the talents, the abilities, the time that God gives us. So there will be crowns. Number two, there will be verbal affirmation. There's going to be some kind of a verbal affirmation. We see one in Matthew 25 in verse number, I believe it's 31 to 21, where it says, his master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Well done. You took what I gave you and you used it. For the kingdom, you were responsible. You were accountable. Well done. You've been faithful over a little bitty bitty. And I'm going to make you ruler over much. Come on in, enter the joy of the Lord. So, which, which group are you in? See, we need to ask ourselves that question right now. Let's let the Holy Spirit begin his work in our lives. Are we in the lame line or are we in the kingdom serving line? I know which line I want to be in, but here's some reasons we give for not serving. I hear these a lot. First reason I hear is, well, I'm too busy. Too busy for what? What are you too busy for? I mean, if Jesus were to walk in that door right now, walk up to you and say, I'd like for you to take on some kingdom responsibility well, Jesus, you don't understand. I'm too busy. I've got, I've got, my Saturdays are just busted. I work all week. I've got to take Saturday to do my stuff. And I've got a lot to do. And I've got ball games. My kid plays ball. i got this. i got to mow my lawn. I've got, you understand, it's COVID season. Hey, I ain't touching nobody. I ain't going nowhere. I'm getting six feet away. Social distance all the way, God. I mean, look, i got excuses, God. I'm telling you, I'm too busy. And plus all this other stuff. I mean, our nation's falling apart. It's just awful. God, I'm sorry. I'm just too busy. Or is it maybe that you're, you're too, it's just too hard? Sometimes it is tough. I get it. It is. Sometimes it's tough. Sometimes it takes time. Sometimes we have to rearrange our schedules. Sometimes it just doesn't fit. It's hard. It's too thankless. And it is sometimes thankless. But I'm going to go ahead and take this opportunity right now to thank everyone who is serving in the kingdom. Because I want you to know there is no possible way we can do it without you. It's impossible. I'm telling you, I've tried to do it without you, and I about killed myself. I had to learn, Eric, you've got to delegate. You've got to reach out. Even if they say no, ask. You've got to have some help. It's too late. Man, preacher, you don't understand, man. I'm, I'm retired, and I've just not taken time to, to, to put, prioritize that in my life. And no, it's never too late. In fact, I had someone come to me two weeks ago and say, Preacher, I'll be retiring next year, and I just want you to know I'm set for life. I've got what I need, and so I'm going to be able to donate 20 hours of volunteer work to the church for free for the rest of my life. I'm like, serious high five on that one, high 10. Because that's what I want to do. I've already decided. Period, end of story. I want to work for the church, no pay. I want to be a janitor. Because I love, how many of you know I like to clean? I'm a clean, I love it. I pick up trash all the time. I cannot walk through the parking lot with picking trash. I love, I love it. I love 
Ken Wagner and I are bet. He loves me. Do you love me, Ken? You better love me. I give Ken five hours a week every week. He knows it too. I, I love coming alongside Ken. This is a huge property. It's a mess. There's always trash in the auditorium. There's always empty water bottles everywhere. It's just a lot. Then the grounds are so enormous. You, I mean, I bought a weed eater. Have you seen my house? I don't use it. But I use it all the time here. I love my weed eater because it just, it's, it's, I love to just use it. I'm not good at it, but I use it, you know. I can't wait. And I hope it's not like too soon. But if you vote me out because this message was too hard, I'm ready. I get it. Preacher, we want somebody to tickle our ears. You're just too tough. That janitor job is available right now. I'll take it. Because I'll tell you, man, to me, it's never too late. For kingdom responsibility. It's just never. And I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. I'd rather hold the door open for somebody coming in than to have riches and houses and lands and a big 401k. Just give me a little job in the church to serve and build up Christ's kingdom. You say, Eric, you're crazy. Maybe, maybe. But I'm crazy about Jesus. I think it'd be good to stop here and do something. Maybe not in the service, because we'd have to lock the doors. You'd start walking out big time. And I would too, probably. So let's not, let's not do it in the service. But maybe it would be good after the service, on the way home, in the car, just to look at our spouse and our kids and those that we love and say, could we talk just for a minute about what are we doing for the kingdom? And just kind of talk about it. Just have a conversation. What am I doing that is regular, every week, consistent for Jesus in the church? Have a conversation. And then at the end say, am I pleased with that answer? Because I don't think if we challenge ourselves, if we're not accountable, then this is just another sermon. And it comes and goes and nothing changes. But if we have this conversation... And make ourselves a little uncomfortable. I'm convinced that we can do something about that pendulum. I love the worship service. Did you guys not like what we've experienced here? This church is amazing. I love all the decorations. I love the stage. I love the lights. I love the sound system. I love it all. It's awesome. But what about service? What about that? Can we swing the pendulum back a little bit? I know we spend an hour and 15, 30 minutes at church every week enjoying the worship, but could we, could we spend maybe an hour and 15 minutes a week serving? That's all I'm, I'm it's a challenge. It's, it's a persuasive message, but it is biblically based. It's something to think about. Number, number, well, let me do this. I thought about this for the, I don't know how many of you know we have 14 deacons. And on this little connection directory, it's really cool because you can pick it up and you can look inside and see these deacons and they're, there's 14 of them. Here's what they do. Kim Moore is, he does the prayer ministry. Thomas Kemp does the benevolence ministry. Thomas told me this week he needs volunteers to help him in that ministry. David Wilkie does the Lord's Supper. I already know. See, I thought the Lord's Supper, Dave, was like 30 minutes, quick, easy, pour a little juice, set it out, done. But Dave went on vacation. Dave calls the pastor. Preacher, could you help me do it this week? Sure, Dave, I'll do it this week. Four hours in... And COVID season, so you can't touch nothing. You got gloves, you're pouring everything. Believe me, the last time we did the Lord's Supper, it was super clean. Trust me, I didn't do a thing. I didn't touch it. In fact, every time we did something, if I touched it, throw it away, throw it away, you got to throw it away, you know. 
I called Chloe and Eileen and Allie Rubio, and I said, guys, this is a lot more than I thought. (laughs) I'm sure Dave could use some help. John Clowers does security. He told me the other week, we need several more men that would help us before and after both services just to make sure that our church is always safe. Mark Cantrell does transportation. And I'm sure Mark would love it if someone said, hey, I'll change the oil on one of our vehicles two times a year. Just call me. I'll do it free. Jeff Manthe does the ushers, and I know he needs several volunteers. Troy Brassel does the nursery. I'm sure we don't need anybody to help in the nursery. I bet we're packed out, and nobody's being used more than once every week, right? No. (laughs) John Schroeder does landscaping, and I I can tell you that is a monster responsibility. Brad Cranston does media, and we've got a lot of media needs. Dave McLean does the treasury. Darian Sims is in charge of first impressions. Don Yoke does our foster care ministry. Timothy Gillespie does the baptism ministry, and Mike Griffith now is in charge of all of our special projects at the church. So you say, well, that's cool. So I can volunteer to do one of those. Yeah, you could just say to one of those 14 deacons, plug me in. I've got, you've got an hour every week, 45 minutes, 30 minutes, 15 minutes. I'll give you five minutes a week. Plug me in to kingdom responsibility. Number three. The third reason, first of all, because service can satisfy our heart's longing for fulfillment. Number two, because service will be rewarded now and in eternity. Number three, because we want to be just like Jesus who modeled service. That's what the worship service was all about. Every song was about Jesus, our servant. He serves us even today. As we sit in this auditorium, he is ministering us. He is serving us with his word. And we think about this sermon series titled, Growing in the Likeness of Christ. A fresh look at our example. The greatest example of a servant was Jesus Christ. In fact, we might want to ask ourselves this question, am I like Jesus? Well, I can assure you, if you are not serving, you are not like Jesus, because Jesus served, and that's how you are never more like Jesus than when you are stooping to serve another. That's the height, that's the top, that's where it gets good. There's nothing greater than serving. His life was serving. That's why in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, it says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give. Give what? Give his life, a ransom for many. Are you serving like Christ? And let's get away from this religious thing. You know, like, preacher, look at my necklace. I never take it off. Everybody knows this, this shirt is incredible. Look, I love Jesus. I wear it everywhere I go. Preacher, I just put a sign in my yard, honk if you love Jesus. And they honk. It's incredible. They drive by, I'm like, hey, I love it too. I'm not talking about the religious thing. I'm talking about the real thing. Rolling up your sleeves and getting busy for the, for the Lord. Let's get away from that religious thing. If you're like Christ, you're serving. 80 times in the New Testament, the Son of Man is mentioned. If you go back to that verse, for even the Son of Man, I love that statement, the Son of Man. And I love the way that is said. And I'm almost done. Even the Son of Man. Think about that. The Son of Man mentioned 80 times in the New Testament. Jordan mentioned this in in his little segment as he introduced that song. 
Can you imagine the humiliation of Jesus leaving heaven to come to earth? To be our servant, the king of kings and lord of lords became a man. Why? To serve you, to serve me. And then notice how, look at, look at how it says for even. For even the son of man. In other words, if anyone could have expected for others to cater to his needs, Jesus could have. I mean, even Jesus served. And if anyone could have been waited on, it would have been Jesus. But instead, he spent his whole life sending a message. Greatness is not having people to to serve you, to wait on you. Greatness is serving others. And that's the way the kingdom works. And yet never have we been in a generation that is more selfish than this one. It's amazing. We live in a very selfish generation consumed with itself what's good for me does it fit my schedule does it benefit me serving is selfless Isaac Watts was a great hymn writer I think Isaac writes Watts wrote when I surveyed the wondrous cross I think which is one of the greatest songs ever written if you've heard it it's amazing but Isaac Isaac Watts also wrote this song And I want to share it with you in just a moment. But it's already on the screen. You just take it off for a second. I want to say a little word about it so you don't read it yet. Because listen to this. I wrote these notes down about this. The circumstances in which Isaac Watts wrote that song. He ministered in England to the Anglican church. And the Anglican church became very dead. So what he did was he and some other folks left the Anglican church. And they went to start a fresh church work for God and, and they, they drew people away from that church to do this and they were called the dissenters as a result of this they were persecuted they were martyred they were mocked and beaten and ridiculed they, they received so much suffering as a result of just stepping away from religion and stepping into kingdom responsibility. And Isaac Watts wrote the words to this song after reflecting on the price that others had paid to serve Christ in other generations. Scott Mercer mentioned in his message two weeks ago about the list of disciples that all were martyred as they lived their lives out for Christ. Listen to the words of this song. Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? Or shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace? To help me on to God? No. No. Sure. I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil. I'll endure the pain. Supported by thy word. These messages, I'm sure, are not easy to hear. But trust me, they're harder to preach. Trust me. But God's people need to hear this. Because it's not always going to be easy. 
And for us to do kingdom work, it's going to take sacrifice, it's going to take time, and it's going to have to be because our hearts are in it, but we need you. Trust me, we need you. This city needs you, this community needs you, and I have never been more excited about what we are doing to work with other churches to do things like what we're doing this Saturday. The missions revival in a couple of weeks, but yet even the weekly responsibilities that we have available at our church right now, opportunities to step in and serve and respond to what Jesus said is the greatest, and that is to serve. Let's bow our heads, shall we? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, in just a moment, I'm going to pray and we're going to stand and spend some time responding and worshiping. I believe that God is building his kingdom on earth and he's invited us to be a part of it. Part of that kingdom is caring for babies in the nursery. Part of that kingdom is passing out worship guides. Part of that kingdom is being an usher. Part of that kingdom is taking care of the grounds. Part of that kingdom is cleaning. Part of that kingdom work is just being available. He's building his kingdom. And he needs you. Would you be a part? Would you decide this morning that you're going to make God's work a part of your schedule, your life? That maybe the snooze button is going to get a little less attention. Maybe our lazy chairs, which I love mine, it's the best. That maybe... I'm going to give a little less time to it and a little more time to the labor, to the work of God's kingdom. The pendulum has swung far too long. Let's bring it back a little. Let's be like Jesus. Let's serve. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this amazing church and I love these amazing people. And yet, God, I understand and realize that, Lord, if we're not accountable to the whole counsel of God Lord that we're not going to truly be the balanced believers and Christians we need to be Father I'm believing God this morning there's a purpose and a reason for this message and the timing of this message and all the things you have planned for our church and I believe that Father we need each and every person in this room to begin to have the conversation first with you and then with their family and friends and small group so that we can increase the tribe of laborers in the kingdom on earth. And thank you, God, in advance for whatever rewards we get here and there. It's really hard to imagine. We don't deserve it. But I already know what you're going to say. You'll never be outgiven. And thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand, shall we?